Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hello, friends, and welcome back to the Bill Press Pod. I know we say it every four years, but damn it, this year it's true more than ever. This is indeed the most important election in our lifetime because we've never had a worse president and because it's important to get rid of him and because so much, including the future of our very democracy, is at stake. But Democrats can't afford to get overconfident. They can't let up. They can't take anything for granted. They have to do everything possible to win in November, not just the White House, but to increase our margin in the House and take back the Senate as well. And in his new book, You're Fired, Paul Begala tells us how to do it. Paul's one of the smartest Democratic operatives in the country, a veteran of the 1992 Clinton campaign and the Clinton White House, a longtime political commentator on CNN, like me, a former co-host for Crossfire, and a longtime good friend. His new book, You're Fired, The Perfect Guide to Beating Donald Trump, comes out on August 4. You can pre-order it now. And here, an exclusive preview just for you. Paul Begala, my brother, it's good to see you. Bill, nice <laughs> to see you again. Thanks for having me on. All right. And congratulations on the new book, You're Fired, <laughs> The Perfect <laughs> Guide to Beating Donald Trump. Hey, Paul, look, you and I have been in and out of a lot of campaigns, right? And um, and we've taken on a lot of Republicans and some Democrats. Um, but we've never been up against a guy like this. I mean, this this right. almost gets beyond being Republican or Democrat, what Donald Trump doesn't. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you and I are finding ourselves on the same side as William Crystal and George Conway <laughs> uh, and, and John Weaver. Weaver is a Texan and a Republican, he used to beat my ass in campaigns in Texas all the time. Uh, now he's on the same side. Uh, this is it, it, this is maybe a plus, right? One of the few benefits of the age of Trump is we're seeing the Democrats up, amass a coalition that ranges from four star generals to Black Lives Matter. And I love that. I, I'm a big tent Democrat like you. So I, I, I do appreciate uh, Trump's ability to alienate so many Americans and drive them over to the Democratic side. And, and how do you evaluate uh, the importance to the country of getting rid of Donald Trump? Yeah, it, it is the most important uh, domestic issue of my adult lifetime. Uh, it, it is everything. It is literally life and death. When we have this uh, coronavirus, it is literally about whether the Constitution will function, whether the first three words of the Constitution, we the people, have any meaning. It is literally about whether we will advance toward becoming a more perfect union and trying to heal the divides of race and gender and generation, sexual orientation, all the divisions that have always been there in America, but that he has made worse, not better. Uh, it is, it's, it's everything. And by the way, I back before the COVID, I was able to travel. And when you go overseas, the entire free world is looking to America for leadership and wondering what the hell is going on. 
So it, it's everything. It really is. They always say it's the most important election of my lifetime. Well, oh, no. this really is. Yeah. yeah, it really is. So um, you're fired. The perfect way to beat Donald Trump. How? What's your, you know, what's your roadmap here? Well, the most important thing is to keep the focus on the voters, not Trump. And this is something I got wrong, Bill. And I, I, I opened the book with a whole chapter called Mea Culpa, which as good Catholic boys, we know. Um, <laughs> right. My fault. Um, my fault. I, I, I among others, but I t- take personal responsibility. I helped direct the negative campaign against Trump for a super PAC. And we focused on his character, which is in the sewer. He is the person of worst character in the history of the American presidency. He lies. He says racist things. He says sexist things. He says uh, homophobic things. He says anti-Islamic things. But I didn't tie that to people's lives. I didn't explain to people in our advertising why this man of such terrible character could cost you your job, your life, your health care, your security. Uh, I didn't close that loop. And so the Democrats need to do the most important thing is to keep the focus on the voters and not on Trump. Yes, we have to fire Trump. That's the whole point of the book. It's the whole point of the election. But why? We have to fire Trump because he has done terrible damage to the real lives of real Americans who deserve a president. And they don't have one now. And I think that's the most important thing. Remember in City Slickers where Jack Palance says the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. <laughs> yeah, right. So and it's the that, voters, stupid. And so does that mean the people who did not vote the last time, uh, and we know where there are a lot of those, or does that mean the people who did vote to give Donald Trump a chance the last time? Right, both. Both. I'm a both and Democrat. Democrats have got to find ways that simultaneously motivate people uh, in our coalition, which which I describe in the book, the whole chapter on the rising American electorate, people of color, young people, women, especially unmarried women, uh, people with no religious faith, th- that, those four groups are exploding in the electorate. The Democrats have, if the Democrats engage them, they tend to vote overwhelmingly Democratic. And at the same time, we have to reach out. There are a lot of disaffected Trump voters in rural America. There are so many in the suburbs that Nancy Pelosi was able to flip the house. Uh, but there's also, I think, a lot of votes out in, in farm country, in small towns, where Trump has betrayed them and screwed them to the wall, and I think we can get them. So I'm for all of the above. Uh, and the way to do it is to find issues that are web issues, not wedge issues, issues that stitch folks back together. If I tell you about a place that is uh, where the schools are failing and the hospitals are closing and people are addicted to drugs and domestic abuse is going through the roof. You have no idea if I'm talking about the cities, the suburbs, or rural America, right? We all have very similar problems if you stop and think about it. And that's what I'm trying to do is uh, make sure the Democratic Party becomes inclusive uh, of everybody. Is it enough for the Democratic Party just to be not Donald Trump? No. Or for... point. Yeah. No, you got to... What I think it was Gil Scott Heron who used to say, you got to stand for something or you'll fall for anything. Yeah, right. Um, who is a, the probably the first rapper? Uh, <laughs> I, 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 the book is about firing Trump and why, but I do conclude it with an entire chapter about national service, something Democrats ought to be for. Of course, we're all against Trump, and I really want to make the case on the economy, on health care, on civil rights, on the courts, on national security, on climate. 
But what to be for? I am begging Joe Biden to run on an expansion of national service. Uh, you know, President Kennedy started the Peace Corps. President Bush Sr. had the points of light. And President Clinton created AmeriCorps. W preserved it, and President Obama expanded it. So we have a wonderful bipartisan history of presidents calling us to serve. But for all that, right now there's 75,000 people in AmeriCorps. Well, that's great. Do you know there's 42 million young people between the ages of 20 and 30? Wow. And their unemployment rate's yeah. got to be 50% now. So instead of 75,000, how about a million or 5 million, 10 million? I want to throw open the doors of service to any person who wants to serve their country. And if you serve us for two years in a nursing home, in a COVID ward, uh, I've got a buddy, uh, uh, you may know him, Steve Domenico. He's one of my, he's my college roommate, my best friend. He's out on the Navajo Nation right now. He's mm. serving his fellow Americans. who are Our Navajo brothers and sisters are besieged with COVID. He's doing it because he's a great guy. But what if AmeriCorps were doing more of that? What if there were opportunities for anybody who wants to serve? So what it would do is rebuild America. It would also repair the ties that bind. Because as you know, when you serve with someone who's different from you and, and you develop an empathy for them, it's really hard to hate people anymore. The example I cite in the book is my brother-in-law. Eve Estelle. Eve Estelle is a Princeton-educated, Paris-born, millionaire genius. He loved his adopted country so much, he's an immigrant, that he had signed up for the United States Army. And his service in the Army, where he crawled through the mud in Fort Sill, Oklahoma, made him so much more of an American because he served with people from inner cities, people from small towns and farms. And it just became impossible for him to hate any other American because he got to know <laughs> he served with them. So that's the thing I think most of all, we have to be for everything. But I think if we committed to service, it could, it could, it, it helps address climate. It helps address civil rights. It helps address criminal justice. It helps address everything if we're all serving each other. Yeah, it's a great tradition in this country. Uh, William James, uh, generally given credit for, for starting it. Uh, I just wanted to give a plug for the California Conservation Corps when I was working for Jerry right. Brown. That uh, was Jerry's vision. And it's still going strong. And again, not enough young people in it, but um, uh, a great opportunity and, uh, and, and, a, and a great calling um, to, to, for, for public service. So back to the election. How are you feeling today? Um, and what do you think of the polls today, most of which show uh, Joe Biden up by double digits? Yeah, I, I don't, I'm not one that says, oh, polls aren't accurate. They are, but they're not outcome determinative. We're still 100 days, more or less, from the election, and a lot is going to happen, by which I mean specifically. Russia is going to intervene. They already have, and they will again. We know that. We know that China has been asked by Trump to intervene, and they have enormous capacity to do so should they choose. Um, he pressured Ukraine, that's why he got impeached, to intervene. God knows whether uh, other malign actors, North Korea, Iran. Anyway, there's a lot of people who hate America's freedom uh, and frankly might prefer Trump, who probably not so big on America right. either. So I, I, I'm worried about foreign intervention. I'm terribly worried about voter suppression. I go in chapter and verse in the book of how Brian Kemp, now the apparent governor of Georgia, ripped off Stacey Abrams, suppressed votes, disproportionately black voters, disenfranchising hundreds of thousands of Georgians. He was able to do that because the chief justice gutted the Voting Rights Act, the act that right. John Lewis, God rest his soul, shed blood for, John Roberts, completely disemboweled. So I'm worried about a lot of things still, a lot, a lot. I think Biden is exactly the guy we need. 
Uh, I was neutral in the primaries. I really was. I was trying to be an honest analyst. But I think the Democrats chose him because he had that capacity to unite and to heal. And, and, and it's, you know, Joe's life has been so filled with tragedy. And yet it's made him so open hearted and so big hearted and so able to be empathetic. Trump's life has been unending privilege. And interestingly, it's made him very hard hearted. So I think actually that contrast of character is is just a wonderful way to um, to try to unite a lot of people. But we're going to need an overwhelming victory to counter all of the, uh, I think, uh, illegality that we're going to see, both domestic voter suppression and foreign intervention. Uh, is there a risk that Democrats could get a little cock, cocky uh, about you know the polls at this point? Um, maybe as they were in 2016. I, I hey, think, we got it in the bag, right? I think they were in 2016. I think, I think a lot of people were. I, I have to say, the, go, the last month of 2016 was the only election in my lifetime where I lost sleep. Uh, not that I, I thought Hillary was going to win. I was sure of it. But I did believe, knowing all the research I'd had on Trump, that God forbid he got in there, it would be catastrophic. And it has been. So I think the daily, God help us, the daily death count reminds us from, from COVID of how high the stakes are and why complacency or overconfidence is not possible. It just not. And as I don't sense that as much with Democrats today. I think if you if you do look at 2016, a lot of the mistakes that were made were made because everybody thought Hillary had it in the bag. And so perhaps they were free to cast a protest vote for a right. third or fourth party candidate, or perhaps they were free to stay home, or perhaps they were free like Jim Comey to throw the bloody election to Trump. And I'm still angry with Comey for that. Uh, aren't we all? I hope. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, I don't consider him a hero at all based on what he did. October 28, wasn't it? Or whatever. Yeah. Um, you know, you mentioned some of the things that um, that could happen uh, to skew this election. Uh, Donald Trump says it's the mail-in ballots, ballots by mail that are going to do it. That's going to create the most fraudulent election uh, ever in, in history. Hey, Paul, when I was Democratic chairman of California, we we worked our ass off to get people to vote by mail, but we always figured that the Republicans were better at that than we were. Exactly. Right. You, you, yeah. Right. Those of us who've done this for a living know that Republicans usually win the mail-in ballots because they're disproportionately older and conservative. Yeah. So interesting thing that's happening. First off, your listeners already know this, I'm sure, but Trump votes by mail. Yes. <laughs> Many of his senior aides vote by mail. So when he says he's fraudulent, he's indicting himself. It is not fraudulent. There are a number of states that conduct their elections almost entirely by mail. Most interestingly, Utah. Uh, uh, hardly a state of left-wing radicalism, hardly a democratic right. bastion. Uh, the good folks in Utah, like progressive uh, people in Oregon, have run perfectly clean elections. Whether it's a democratic state like Oregon or a traditionally Republican state like Utah, vote by mail is safe, it's honest, it's ethical, it's the best way to vote. And I, I'm, I, I'm actually intrigued at the results. What's happening when Trump does this bill, I've, I've seen research on this polling data, He's depressing his own voters from voting by mail because, you know, Trump voters and there are a lot of the hardcore ones. They just worship and adore him. And so when he says vote by mail is bad, they say, well, I won't do it. Our side knows that Trump is full of beans. And it's, <laughs> it's, so in a weird way, his campaign against vote by mail could boomerang <laughs> against him telling his own voters to stay home. Can, can I make one more plug, though? Absolutely. Mark Elias, uh, who you know, is the yes. former voting rights lawyer in America, 
and I quote him terrifically in the book because he's so able. He says, all of your listeners, if they can, should volunteer to be poll watchers. Mm. Not poll watchers, poll workers. Excuse me, poll workers. workers. Yeah. They, you know, they, more than half of our poll workers are over the age of 60. Uh, a huge percentage are over the age of 75. They're the most vulnerable to COVID. So we need younger listeners to step up and to go work the poll. Set your partisan hat aside for a couple of hours and just go be a patriot, be a good citizen, um, wear a mask, wear protective gear. But if you can, if you can, uh, younger Americans need to step up and be poll workers. It's the best thing you can do to protect our democracy on Election Day. You and I have known Joe Biden for a long time. He's a good man. Uh, he is everything that Donald Trump is not. Uh, we, could, we could go down the list. How do you how do you think his campaign is doing right now? You know, uh, great. I'm not an advisor. I'm a friend. Um you know, he's a following Napoleon's maxim, never interrupt your opponent when he's destroying himself. <laughs> right. So he's not doing that. But he Rule is, number one. <laughs> it's rule number one. But he's also done a good job of raising issues that matter to the American middle class, not just, oh, Trump's a pig, which he is. He had a wonderful major address on the economy where he laid out a powerful progressive vision of what the economy should be doing. Build back better. Not just go status quo ante, build back right. better than it was in the Obama days even. Now, this week, he's giving a, a major speech about childcare and other issues that will help working moms and dads be good parents and good employees. These kinds of real life issues, they matter a whole lot more than Trump's latest Twitter war with Rosie O'Donnell. Or I guess nowadays it's Bubba Wallace, the African-American NASCAR driver. Not that those things don't matter. But I think Joe has done a really good job of remembering that elections have consequences, elections matter, and telling voters the main point of this book, your life will be better under a Biden presidency. It's not just enough that we'll fumigate the White House and Trump will be gone. You'll have a chance to have affordable, high-quality child care. You'll have a chance to expand Obamacare to cover all Americans with a public option so you can buy into Medicare. You'll have a chance to live a longer, better life in a more just country. And so that side of it, I think he's doing a terrific job of. And there were, of course, we, we know that to a certain extent, Democrats are bedwetters, right? And there were so <laughs> many people saying, oh, God, Joe's got to get out of the basement. Oh, this is terrible. He's got, well, it looks to me like the basement's working. <laughs> it, it, it is because people don't want a president who's an idiot. <laughs> I'm sorry, but it's foolish. It's idiotic. Do you know, they just had a report. The, uh, the Washington Post looked at the federal election reports, and the Trump campaign revealed that they spent hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars, I think a half a million dollars, on their stupid rally in Oklahoma and Tulsa, where all it was is a super spreader for COVID. Those poor <laughs> folks got sick, including the governor of Oklahoma. Uh, no, it's still, it was a cr crummy turnout. It didn't do anything good to help his campaign. It got a lot of people sick, and he spent a ton of money. I don't want Joe to repeat that, right? I, I just, and I, you, as you say, you and I have known Joe for decades. I think his overwhelming uh, characteristic is empathy. So I'm not there. I'm no longer in the room where it happens. But if I were, I promise you, I know what Joe would be saying. He was, he would say, "Let's not get a bunch of our staff people sick." 
Let's not get a bunch of our voters sick. Let's not get a bunch of our Secret Service agents sick. Think about the guys and gals who have to clean up after that rally. I don't want them to get sick. He's thinking about other people. And that's the core of his appeal, but it's also the core of his character. So, Paul, your book comes out August 4. Uh, people can reorder, uh, pre-order, and reorder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, send it to your uh, mom, send it to your dad, send it to your pain-in-the-ass Uncle Fred. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're fired, and you know where that comes from, the name of the book. Uh, and that's about the same time that Joe Biden said he's going to tell the world his choice for a vice presidential running rate. Who's your favorite? I, I, you know, I don't know. I'm all over the map on this. I'm curious what do you think. There are two Californians on that. Yes. List. Uh, uh, your Senator Kamala Harris, your Congresswoman Karen Bass. Uh, I'm blessed to know pretty much everybody on that list, a little bit at least, some of them very well. Those are really impressive women. You start with them and you can't go wrong. Uh, you expand to Tammy Duckworth from, from the Midwest, a uh, war hero, senator, phenomenal uh, woman. Uh, a lot of people still looking at Elizabeth Warren uh, up yep. in the Northeast from, from Massachusetts. Uh, Val Demings. Uh, I talked to a, a staff member, but yeah, I have sources, a staff member on the House Judiciary Committee where she serves. And the staffer told me that uh, Congresswoman Demings is one of the smartest people that, that they've dealt with. That she's just terrific. I don't know her personally, but she was outstanding in the impeachment trial. Uh, so he's got a lot of real, I'm sure I've left a lot out. He's got a lot of really good, Gretchen Whitmer, the star uh, new governor in, in Michigan, uh, uh, Governor Lujan Grisham uh, in, yep. in New Mexico. So he's got a lot of good options. I really don't have a favorite because yeah. I, I, uh, I think that the question is, who do you want, in addition to take over, God forbid, if something happens, what if God willing nothing happens, who do you want to be the last voice in your ear, Joe, the way you were for President Obama? Who can right. do for yeah. you I what you did for Barack? Uh, I would add Susan Rice to that list. Oh, and, yeah, um, my old pal. Susan's a very good friend of mine. I, golly, I can't believe yeah. I her. And, and by the way, I agree with you. I don't think he can go wrong. He's got an incredible, incredible uh, group of people there to choose from. Any one of them would be fantastic. You know, I this is, yeah. I, I think it, this is partially a function of having lost. In other words, so many people got in the game or stepped up their game. Uh as you know, in 2018, we elected more women and people of color to Congress than ever before. Right. In fact, the majority of Democratic candidates for the first time ever were not white men. Uh, and I got nothing against white men. You and I are white men. We're fine. <laughs> but it's really important for the Democrats to reach out. And I think uh, Biden, the way he's handling this vice presidential selection, has shown that outreach and diversity is our strength. Paul Begallo is our guest. His new book, uh you're fired, the perfect guide to beating Donald Trump, out August 4. Uh, and there's a link, of course, there will be in the notes to this episode of the Bill Press Pod on how to order the book. Uh, we'll be back with Paul. Let's take a quick break and then resume our conversation about politics 2020 and his new book, You're Fired. Today's podcast with Paul Begala. Brought to you by the great Teamsters Union under the leadership of President Jim Hoffa. The Teamsters is a real powerhouse in America's labor movement. In fact, our largest and most diverse union of all with 1.4 million members. We think of them as truck drivers, which they are, but also, this, as they say, they represent every worker in America from A to Z, from airline pilots to zookeepers. We salute the good members of the Teamsters Union, thank them for the support of the podcast, direct you to their website to find out more at Teamster, 
org. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be Continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. And we're back with uh, my good friend, longtime friend, uh, colleague at CNN and uh, other campaigns, uh, but the good Paul Begala, his new book, You're Fired, The Perfect Guide to Beating Donald Trump. So, Paul, it's everything's at stake, as you pointed out, but the White House, every seat in the House. Let's talk about the Senate for a while. Yeah. Pretty important to add the Senate to the list, right? And how's it look to you? Who would have thought? This is, uh, as they say, not a great map. You know, this. Uh, your listeners know this, but one third of the Senate is up every two years. This one third is in places where we don't often win. Um, places like North Carolina, places like Texas, places like Maine. Um, and yet we are tied or ahead in all of those places. We are tied or ahead in Iowa. Teresa Greenfield, an outstanding candidate yeah. in Iowa. She's remarkable. Yeah. And Joni Ernst came in with great fanfare, I thought had great potential. She's completely flamed out. She left all those Iowa farmers behind and went in with all the lobbyists and Trumpsters. Um, so I, I really like our chances to take back the Senate a lot. This is, again, it's the best classic candidates we've seen. Um, uh, Catherine Cortez Masto, the senator from Nevada, is the head of the Democratic Senate Campaign Committee. She recruited, when it looked like we had no chance, she recruited some of the most talented women and men I've ever seen, including two presidential candidates, Steve Bullock in Montana, John Hickenlooper in Colorado. Uh, and there's two places where we, we rarely win, where we're tied. And that is Alaska, where Al Gross is an independent. Uh, a yeah, doctor, great guy. Great, great guy, guy. Dr. Yeah. Gross. Dr. Al Gross. And then in Texas, my beloved Texas, one of my many sons, Billy Begala, is working for MJ <laughs> Hagar. And Billy is 24. Billy was born in Austin and went to the University of Texas at Austin. And in his entire life, no Democrat has won a statewide election in Texas. There's been over 180 mm -hmm. elections, 180. We're over 180. Guess what? MJ can win. She is a badass Texas woman in the mode of my old friend, Ann Richards, God rest her soul. She is a motorcycle riding, wounded war hero uh, and worked in healthcare and a suburban mom in Round Rock, Texas, and running against John Cornyn, a career politician oh, who's only right. got a 36% approval rating. Uh, mm. MJ, if she can raise the money, and I think she can, with her heroic story and her badass campaign, uh, so you could flip Texas. If you flip Texas, Ted Cruz actually said this this week, and I rarely agree with Ted Cruz. He said, if the Democrats win Texas, it is over for us. Well, let's make that happen. 
Let's put in Jay Hagar in the Senate. <laughs> right. By the way, my old pal Beto O'Rourke is helping the state legislative candidates in the House. Beto hmm. did the math. Democrats only have to flip nine seats. If and those are and uh, the, uh, there are eleven seats held by Republicans today that Beto carried in twenty eighteen. So Beto's been raising money and raising hell. I think it's better than 50-50 chance that Beto O'Rourke and my friend Justin Nelson, who was the attorney general candidate, they're working together on this, that they flipped the state house in Texas. Right. Uh, a couple of those uh, seats to mention. Uh, Arizona, Mark Kelly, oh. incredible kind of I mean, it's almost in the bank, right? I mean, don't, don't want to get overconfident here, but great candidate. Just for terrific sure. candidate. Uh, again, a, a veteran, an astronaut, uh, a congressional spouse. His wife, Gifford, yeah. is one of the real heroes of, of our Congress. Uh, and boy, has he been terrific. Uh, I, we have a lot of just outstanding candidates around the country. I thought no, it was fun. Georgia. Reverend oh, yeah. Reverend Warnock, the pastor of Ebenezer Baptist, came through that primary with flying colors. And, and John Ossoff, who ran for the House and came up short, has really come into his own as a candidate. Again, we haven't won in Georgia since my old friend and mentor, Zell Miller. And yet I mm -hmm. think we have a, a really good chance uh, of one or two of those seats in Georgia. You know, I was talking with some of the uh, Lincoln Project. Uh, you, mm -hmm. you mentioned some of these Republicans who are uh, out to elect Joe Biden and not just defeat Donald Trump, but elect Joe Biden. And they're getting involved in some Senate races, right. including they think uh, they have a good shot in South Carolina of dumping Lindsey Graham with Jamie mm -hmm. Harrison, who's another great candidate. He is terrific. And it, this is the thing. It's not just that Republicans have disgraced themselves. And Lindsey has. He's long been a disgrace. I say I never fell for the whole scam that Lindsey was somehow reasonable. <laughs> um, but but Jamie is a terrific candidate. Uh, he's He ran the state party. He's He knows his way around politics in the best way. He can bring people together. you got to get a lot of Republican voters in South Carolina. you got a lot of Trump yeah. voters. Um, and and by the way, next door in North Carolina, Cal Cunningham. Oh, yeah. Terrific right. candidate. I think he's got a really good chance of winning in, in North Carolina. But when you're, you know, North Carolina has been competitive and Barack Obama came very close. But South Carolina hadn't been competitive in a generation or more. And yet I think Jamie is in a position to to defeat Lindsey Graham. And it's, it's probably the thing that would feel almost as good as beating Trump is sending Lindsay back to South Carolina uh, or to K Street to be a lobbyist or whatever it is he wants to do after his public service is finished. Uh, I also, professional golfer or something maybe. Um, <laughs> <laughs> or at least the hanger on, right? All the, the constant hanger on every time there's a golf tour, a golf cart leaving the White House. Um, I, I had to laugh this week when up in Maine, a state we haven't talked about yet, mm -hmm. Susan Collins, who is the incumbent, let's remember, challenged Sarah Gideon to yeah. 16 debates. Now, what does that tell you about how Susan Collins is thinking? Yeah, you know, Susan Collins is when we run at her every time we always lose. You know, it, and she is resilient and resourceful. But again, she made a historically bad bet on Donald Trump and Brett Kavanaugh. Um, she literally said that Trump learned his lesson from impeachment. She came on CNN, told Dana Bash that. And I about fell out of my chair. Like, does anything we learned <laughs> yeah, from impeachment right. that Trump hadn't learned a damn thing, as John Bolton reveals in his book, after impeachment, he was still going to, no, it was before. But I mean, after the, the controversy with Ukraine, he was going to the Chinese dictator asking for help. Uh, Speaker Gideon, Speaker of the House in, in Maine, uh, 
terrific candidate. And again, it's it, it, it's like losing the football with Senator Collins. You know, I do give her credit for her resilience, but I think she's made a historically bad bet. She came into the Senate in the mode of Bill Cohen, the legendary Republican senator from Maine, who I've gotten to know because he he served our country as the Pentagon chief when I was in the White House. Sure. A remarkable man and, and a terrific public servant who always put country ahead of party. If Susan had stayed in that mode, she'd be unbeatable. This is where the best policy would also be the best politics. If she had stayed a Bill Cohen Republican, we couldn't lay a glove on her. But she became a Donald Trump extremist and a Brett Kavanaugh extremist and an anti-Roe v. Wade extremist. Uh, and and she's going to pay a price for it. I think Sarah Gideon is exactly the kind of person to take her on. I think that uh, Senator Collins ought to be careful about challenging Sarah to 16 debates because she, you know, she's going to have her hands full. Right. Uh, and finally, as uh, in terms of the Senate landscape, as sweet as it would be to get rid of Lindsey Graham, how much even sweeter uh, if we could send Mitch McConnell packing to Kentucky? <laughs> and if anybody can do it, Amy McGrath can do it. Same thing. We just across the country, we have found these remarkable women. Th this is the thing many of our conservative friends don't get, Bill. And you and I have been at this for a long time. When you expand the talent pool, you get more talent. You know, can it really be that we had nobody to lead our military, uh, no person, people of color, until Colin Powell came along? No, we systematically, through racism, excluded people of color from leadership roles in the military. We got rid of that, and you get people like General Powell. So when we throw open the doors of, of opportunity, we get more and better people, and in this case, more and better candidates. Uh, Senator Cortez Masto and Chuck Schumer, by the way, did a terrific job of recruiting badass combat veterans like Amy McGrath, like MJ Hagar, um, and also people with interesting and diverse backgrounds. Um, you know, Steve Bullock is, a, you know, a cisgender oh. white man. But you know what? He's one of my favorites. He's the governor of Montana. So he's managing COVID better than most governors. And he's running for Senate. He's outraised Steve Daines, the incumbent Republican. He's also got a, a unique set of qualifications. He's the only candidate for Senate that I know of who has both argued a case before the Supreme Court and gutted a deer. And <laughs> in Montana, that's a pretty good combination. <laughs> that goes a long way. Yeah, <laughs> damn right. All right. So, Paul, you're fired. The perfect guide to beating Donald Trump. The book is coming out. The question that I get from Democrats who are so they, they know the importance of this. They really can't wait till November 3rd. And they're dying to know, what can we do between now and then? What should Democrats and Republicans who love this country be doing between now and then to make sure it happens? Well, the most important thing is to register and to vote, to make a plan to vote, request an absentee ballot if, if it's allowed in your state, mail in that ballot as soon as the law allows. That's the very, very most important thing. That's number one. Number two, mobilize and organize. We can do this online. It's We don't have to go door to door the way you and I did when, when we were younger. We can organize our friends, our relatives through social media to make sure they have registered, to make sure they have requested about, to make sure that they are educated about issues and they vote. If people are in a position to donate, that's terrific. There's a lot of good causes and a lot of good campaigns. And I respect those who do. I really do. I want campaign finance reform, but until then, if people could send in five bucks. Absolutely, right. Then, then, then that that helps. But on top of that, then if you've if you've registered, if you've helped to organize your friends, you can reach out to these groups, and they are dying for volunteers uh, to cyber organize, to do phone calls, to do phone banking. 
Um, it's so effective when you call someone or you text someone and you say, hey, keep in mind, if, particularly if you're not in a swing state, if you're in California, which I think Joe's very likely to win, you can get on uh, social media, you can get on the phone and you can contact people in these swing states and you can talk to them person to person, American to American, you know, neighbor to neighbor, as it were. So there's a lot that people can do. And then if they're really uh, willing and they're healthy enough, as Mark Elias said, and I mentioned earlier, volunteer to be a poll worker on Election Day. All good stuff. By the way, writing postcards, too. Uh, yes. That's something Cairo yeah. has really gotten into. This is sort of taken off, right? Uh, they'll send you a list of people in a given state, important Senate district or whatever, uh, legislative, state legislative or congressional district, and write a postcard, American to American. This that's is so uh, great. And it's retro, yeah. which, of course, my kids now have more vinyl records than I do. Because what's, what's old is new again. So it's hip to be square. I love that Carol is handwriting uh, postcards. It's a great idea. All right. Hey, Paul, so good to, uh, to catch up with you again. And congratulations again on the new book, You're Fired, The Perfect Guide to Beating Donald Trump. Nobody knows politics better than Paul Begala. Thank you, Paul. See you soon. And that's it for this edition of the Bill Press Pod with Paul Begala. Thanks so much for listening. And now a couple of important programming notes. First, Check the episode notes to this podcast for a link to buy your copy of Paul Begala's new book, Your Fire, The Perfect Guide to Beating Donald Trump. And second, don't miss the next very special edition of the Bill Press Pod, where I'll be discussing Dr. Mary Trump's best-selling new book, Too Much and Never Enough, with three leading mental health professionals. No doubt you've heard all about his niece's book, Donald Trump Tried to Stop It, now hear what leading psychology experts say about it. I'll ask them about Mary Trump's professional credentials and whether her book establishes beyond a doubt that Donald Trump is so mentally unstable he's unfit to be president of the United States and a danger to us and to the world. That's a special edition of the Bill Press Pod on Mary Trump coming up on Wednesday, July 29th.